You're listening to Two Sides of Phi, a podcast that follows two lifelong friends as they seek financial independence and to retire early. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by my friend Jason, who reached Phi in 2020. And this is our story. So we're talking about how scary it is to retire early. Yeah, I was I was thinking about this uh, recently, and it seemed like a fun topic for us because you know we align primarily on the financial independence, right, the FI side of things. We yeah. don't talk too much about retire because I think not, neither of us are really sure what that means. But the more I thought about it, the concept I was thinking about was, what was I concerned about? What are you concerned about uh, in leaving my primary source of income? Right, that that career that I had for me, it was 23 years in biotech. For you, it is as a practice practicing architect, designing and building houses. And at some point, you're going to stop doing that. I already stopped doing the biotech thing. And there was a whole host of things I was worried about before I pulled the trigger. And there are still some things I worry about now in this (laughs) RE stage of where I'm at. Now that I'm starting to focus more on this and project forward to that time when I no longer need to take clients or make videos, I'm starting to really worry about losing the identity I've created through my job. And I was wondering from you, now that you're 10 or 11 months into this, what was the low, low moment of your retirement so far? Low point. Be honest, be honest. I think the most challenging time for me probably came in the first few months. Uh, And, you know, we were in our new house, we were settled. Those early chores were all done. So there was, you know, kind of white space for me to fill. And at first, I was really enjoying it. Uh, I was cooking. I started the app development and kind of all that stuff. And I was getting a lot out of it. And then at some point, I realized I was just trying to jam stuff into that space. I was looking at taking on bigger consulting projects and, you know, felt like I had to find the next thing I was going to do. And honestly, I think you're one of the people who caught on to it first. Um Maybe you have just the right amount of distance from me and also know me well enough to call it out. But, you know, that whole idea that just trading time um, for, you know, money, essentially, right, just falling back into a default mode of I need to figure out how to earn again, when the very point of getting here was to not have that pressure at all was a really big revelation. So there's a positive, right? I came out of that mode (laughs) and I started turning down uh, bigger consulting opportunities that came my way because I recognized that what I had worked hard to get to was the freedom to random walk through different ideas and, and passions and possibilities and fail or drop most of them and maybe even all of them, but with the thought that, you know, one of these things would might turn out to be something really cool that I enjoy doing. But if I fill my time with other crap like I was doing, which was honestly starting to stress me out, which is stupid, <laughs> but real, yeah, that would never happen. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think it lasted for a really long time. Yeah. I, maybe I struggled with it for a few weeks once I came to that realization. But, you know, you and Lori both helped me kind of snap out of it. I Man, it's, that's exactly what I was expecting you to say, because that's exactly what I saw from the outside. And and what I actually think it was, was you coming to grips with losing your identity, which was tied to working and earning like that. That's what you had done for 22 years or 23 years. And your identity was completely wrapped up like it is for nearly everybody that I know. 
And, and when that goes away, you realize what a big part of your life it, it took up. And I, it, it was actually really interesting to see you work through it. And, and that's not to say that you're done working through it and it's <laughs> probably not that things aren't changing still but man it's it's so fun to watch as as an outsider and fat you know as i kind of experience your retirement vicariously <laughs> see project what my own future might feel like when i get to that position but I, it's it's really something that i think everyone can relate to your job is yeah. who you are for much of your life and this is about questioning that and reinventing that and trying to figure out, is there more to life than my job? And I think what, yeah. what it seems like you found is there's space for all these other things and you don't know where it can lead. And I think that's kind yeah. of cool. I, I would say that I was surprised because I've always felt like, you know, look, I, I, I landed in a line of work that I found very interesting and challenging and it was personally rewarding, especially in recent years, right? Working on diagnostics for human disease, you know, it was a very fulfilling trade to be in. Um, and so I felt like I was going to step away from that having felt accomplished, lots of positive things, but that I was ready to set that you know, behind me that, that I was moving into something different and sure I would miss it. I would miss the people and the oh. sense of accomplishment, but I never would have thought that the absence of that would drive those kinds of feelings. Uh, <laughs> and that's naive, obviously. Um, and so maybe, uh, it saves somebody 10% of that <laughs> by thinking about it in advance, but I don't know it, it, it from talking to others who have towed this road. I think that's just a normal progression. I'm, you know, yes, we're talking about doing it earlier in life than traditional retirement age, and maybe that makes it weirder um, <laughs> because you're less ready for it or less frustrated with the grind after you know a lot longer than than we spend in it, right? Sometimes you know maybe even double the amount of time we spent in it, but it's real. Um, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't ident loss of identity. Maybe it was loss of sense of purpose. Maybe yeah. it was that. And and, and I don't know if you've found purpose yet or i don't i actually don't know if that's important to you but it would be important to me when i was volunteering at the the vaccine clinic something i i was doing here once a week um i i had these like crappy little admin jobs because i'm not a medical professional <laughs> right. right yeah used to be an emt but traffic now I'm not. Directing so i can't do anything <laughs> medical i was like legitimately directing traffic like yeah. go here this is where the observation tent is this is how you fill out that form oh, like God. basic yeah. stuff that you could teach someone in five minutes yeah and so nobody made any assumptions about like my level of education and my training right i absolutely dress down that's my mo um, because i'm a very casual person so definitely nobody's going to assume anything <laughs> about me by the way i dress except that i'm uh i'm a dirtbag homeless but um <laughs> Yeah, I'm homeless. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, like I would find people like over explaining things to me at the vaccine clinic, like you know, making sure I got it. I'm like, got it. But like every so often, like something would come up and I would respond to it like my normal way. And I'm pretty well educated about COVID in particular. Um, and I would respond like just like it was a work conversation. They'd be like, oh, well, what what? What kind of work do you do? <laughs> oh, that's nice, Jason. Yeah. yeah. Please step back funny, in line. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's like 
it's a weird thing after so many years of, you know, having a certain level of accomplishment and uh-huh. expectations around that in the workplace based on your level and based on your education that like you're going to respond in a certain way and I can ask you questions in a certain way because we all have these same givens. And now that I don't work in biotech anymore and I'm not surrounded by people who have those expectations, it's like, well, who's this fool? <laughs> exactly. Is so this the reason totally why you like identity change? Is this why you boss me around so much in this project? <laughs> <laughs> is that, oh, is that how this is working? I, that's, not it's not how I felt about it at all. Well, how about you? I mean, especially with your own business that you have built, you know, blood, sweat and tears, eight years plus, I think it is to get you to this point of accomplishment from an architecture standpoint, as well as a content creation standpoint. How do you feel about identity and, and purpose and how that's wrapped up in that? I mean, to me, it feels a little bit more mobile than what you have I mean I could take this and do it almost anywhere, um, it, it, much of what I do, um, and I could continue to say teach. And I've thought about those things. Like there are probably certain things I just would never give up about doing this. But there is yeah. that I, I fear uh, stepping into retirement in, that I won't be able to stop working because I like you. It's like ordering the day and it's this process for making things and you know maybe i'll call it something else but maybe i will still work you know and i know laura has some very definite opinions and thoughts on that it'll be interesting to get both of our spouses on this um definitely but yeah a lot of my identity is tied up in this and i've been thinking about that a lot lately especially with respect to you know this is an asset i created and my kids don't want it. You know, like a lot of family businesses, the kids will graduate and step up into it. My kids have no interest in this and I have no expectation that they would, but right. it feels silly and stupid to have created this thing and then just walk away from it. it so I'm, I'm really conflicted. I don't know what to do yeah. with it. I, I don't, it's not an asset I would really want to sell necessarily. It's not an asset that I think is easy to value or, but there, but there's value there. And so, of course, there is. I guess as I think through what it means to me uh, from a personal level, I'd be really sad to just shutter this altogether. I would be really, it would be really hard for me to walk, take that final walk out of the office, like that image that you sent me, like last day at the office. Um, So I feel like maybe this is a glide path rather than a cliff that I'm that I'm jumping off. But but I just don't know. And I'm also someone who's now done this long enough that I'm comfortable kind of shaping it into something else. Well, I I can, I can, you know, change the course and make it something new and maybe make it something that, you know, is more open to my friends, you know, like you and, and, and Lori and, and my wife and, you know, that it's more just a place for people to create and, and use as they see fit. Like to me, it's just interesting to think about, a different life beyond what it is right now. And I've always seen this as a workshop, like it's a place where you make things, but I've never put any hard bounds on what I make here. Sometimes it's architecture, sometimes it's prints, sometimes it's models, sometimes it's, you know, a a band playing in here. And I, I like that idea and I'd never want to see it not be that, I guess I wouldn't want, I wouldn't turn into a garage probably. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. But I'll tell you, I'll, I'll sign up to do a, uh, to do a sabbatical. Yeah. your workshop and I work silently. Something you've stated before that I've heard, and I don't know how many other people have, you have a view on kind of, uh, uh, I don't know how you put it, like what you want to get out of life or where you find value. And Success there are three metrics, things. Yeah. You, 
Yeah, could you explain the kind of the, 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 the way you look at the world and the three things that you, you look for? So this has been this ordering principle that I've established for the business since kind of day one. So my three metrics of success are freedom. So freedom to do what I choose each day. Purpose, something driving me forward. And relationships, which is, you know, time to spend with family and friends. And, right. you know, as I look at those three things, okay, freedom to do what I choose. I'm obviously financial independence optimizes for that over and above almost everything else. I yes. think because Big time. yeah. And then we get to purpose and I'm like scratching my head thinking, where's the purpose come from? And <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to go and take as many photographs and edit those and, you know, think about what I might, you know, I maybe I'll turn them into a book or do an exhibition or, you know, I don't know. Do you, can you fill 30 years with that? Enough no, so? not, not just that. No, not just that. But you're somebody who like us really loves travel. And I know yeah. that you're somebody who has always felt like every other working person in the world, that there's not nearly enough time to spend on travel and yeah. schedules have to line up and the seasonality, <laughs> never mind the cost. And so I know travel is a big part of your, uh, post fire plans, just like it is ours. Yeah. And then you at, but speaking of that, you add in this kind of nomadic lifestyle that we're contemplating, whether that's in a van or a boat or who knows what, and then Submarine. you've, Right. You've left your yeah, drug sub, man. That would be awesome. Uh, high which, risk, but potentially high reward. You're leaving your friends and family, you know, established circles of relationships. And if, yeah, okay, we can get on a plane, we can drive to whatever, but it's, it's still, you're now sort of plucking yourself out of this life that you've created yes. that says, this makes me feel successful. So either I need to reinvent those metrics for success, which I, they've served me so well. Sure. <laughs> I have a hard time just jettisoning those. I don't um, think you should. Or I have to re rethink how I create purpose in my life, which is what I want to ask you about. And how do I start establishing new circles of friends or finding new ways to connect with, you know, yeah. friends and family or, when you're a nomad? So you've been 11 months out of the workplace. I obviously you've been in lockdown here, so you've probably spent more time at home than you would normally choose to, but absolutely like you're really close to family now and your spouse, right? Proximate, you know, proximal, yeah. same space. How does, what does that look like? Cause that's a concern of mine. Like, okay, yeah. I'm, you know, my wife is my best friend as it should be. Yeah. Likewise. But I, you got to have external friend networks that you connect with. And, you know, what does that mean if you're traveling, you're living this nomadic life? And like we were just fast forwarding into the future a little bit saying, hey, what if we got this, you know, those cool little sprinter vans and did a, you know, conversion of it. And, and then I'm just picturing living like sandwiched next to my wife, like 24 <laughs> seven driving across yeah. the country. I'm like, is that a good thing? How have you handled that? And like, do you guys have certain boundaries that you draw husband and wife? Like, okay, I, I'm doing, I got to get out of the house or we have to be apart for 20 yeah. hours a week. I mean, I'm not saying it has to be that strict, but I just wonder I how understand. you've dealt with that. Yeah. And, and that's certainly going to differ by person, but you know, it certainly was an adjustment for both of us having, you know, me be around, yeah. um, so often. Cause right? you used and to I, travel I, a lot. I did. I traveled a lot. 
Um, and maybe one sort of benefit is that I worked remotely for three months during uh, the COVID lockdown between when it started in early March and when I left my job in, in early June it's like trial uh, of balloon last there. year. Yeah. What's that? It was like a trial balloon then. <laughs> yeah, it was a little trial, right? Um, I, I think we figured out that there are there are areas where we can irritate each other, and I'm somebody who is very irritable, and Lori really isn't. Um, and you know, I no kidding. Know, yeah, I know. It takes one to know one. How about that? Um, but yeah, I was basically interrupting a routine that had been in place for a long time, right? You know, Lori starts her day a certain way, you know, cleans in a certain way, and all, you know the does all these things. And, you know, I typically would leave for work before my wife and daughter got up in the morning right. and I would get home around dinner time, like most people. And so there's a whole lot of things that were happening that were with outside my influence that now I'm in the middle of. And so I'm sure they had to get more used to me being around. You know, it was, it was early on uh, after we moved and we finally felt settled that a lot of these emotions started to really set in. And that's probably not surprising, right? We were so preoccupied with moving and packing and unpacking and all that stuff. But then after a few weeks, you know, it set in. All those early chores were done and now you're left to your devices to kind of work through stuff. And um, I know that I was probably being pretty irritating in a lot of ways. And, you know, <laughs> graciously, I think uh, Lori let that go. Uh -huh. But it at some point I realized that, yeah, there's, we are spending all this time together. I have certain expectations and had control over my life in my office and at work <laughs> that is different than at home. And I might have unrealistic expectations about what <laughs> quiet should look like and what have you. But I, I honestly, it, it, for us at least, and you, yes, you should absolutely get her opinion. I think that's been great. I don't think we get on each other's nerves. She definitely doesn't get on my nerves. I might get on her nerves. Uh, it's gone well. So well, I'll, I, tell, I, I'll tell you, Laura. I feel confident about, you know, if, if we got stuck in a tiny house, which is not one of our plans, but if we did, I think we'd be okay. We would need our outs, outdoors uh, time from each other sometimes. But honestly, I feel like it would go okay. So tell me about that. Tell me about that concern of yours. Is, is it something you just haven't had to do? Is it because you are so used to working in a certain way? I don't know. Let, let oh me my know. God. Yeah. You, it's you, on your mind. You already know that uh, I'm really hard to work with. And like, can you imagine? sharing this studio space with me. So when we went into lockdown and Laura had to work from home, I was like, Oh, you should work in the studio. You know, we got an extra standing desk here. And you know, so of course she moved in and I was like, Oh my God, what did I sign myself up for? Oh, you really? know? Yeah, well, it's because she's in meetings 100% oh, of the day Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I need quiet, creative time. Like, so yes. I'm, I'm like you in that, in that respect. And, and also this studio has, although she helped finance it, obviously uh, it's felt like my own kind of creative space here sure. and territory that I had staked as my own and then sharing it, you know, it starts to make you question like, okay, well, we're spending all this time. We're basically spending the whole day together, even yeah. though we're not like interacting necessarily in the same way a husband and wife would interact. Um, but yeah, it gives me pause. And I know it gives her pause too. Cause she's like, Oh, you know, we're not going to hang out together like all the time in retirement. Right. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, and that's an excellent point, right? And I think I have talked to people who have struggled with that because you do need your separate time yeah. uh, and you need your time together. You need your time with, you know, your own friends. You need time with your shared yeah. friends. It's a balance. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. I, I think I don't think that's so weird. No, it's not. Uh, I'm so jealous of your studio, though, because of the way I work. I've just had an office with a door for yeah. so many years of my work life <laughs> that you take that for granted. And now my office is an open area outside the kitchen. Right. Oh. And so no matter what's happening, it's bothering me. Yeah, right, right. I know that's hey, on that me, little though. shed, man. <laughs> Dude, that shed, that Dr. Cody's meth shed behind my house. <laughs> That you would just burst into flames <laughs> in just, the summer if you were in that. You shed. just have to insulate it. <laughs> I don't think those ventilated, uh, you know, those holes I drilled in it and put the grates over are really going to be enough. <laughs> you, should, you should have dug a hole in the ground, man. That's why uh, desert dwelling is all about, you know, making shade. <laughs> hey, man, I took emergency preparedness or wilderness survival merit badges. I'm sure I could uh, work something out. <laughs> you know what you, you could do? Just get another shed put it next to it and then put a little roof over it. And it's like a dog trot, man. It's natural air conditioning. <laughs> I'm serious. Sounds, yeah. I'll, I'll have you design that. <laughs> <laughs> Two mess sheds are better than one. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> We've talked a lot about the emotional side of this we thing, have. but we have the, the financial side uh, introduces obvious worries. How, I mean, there's sequence of return risk, which we've, touched on a little bit. There's, yeah. is the portfolio I've designed actually going to support me? Um, there's healthcare, whatever crises that may happen. Like, what are you yeah. worried about with respect to that? I mean, anything, is there a recurring concern of yours? Or are you just so confident yeah. in your plan that you're not worried about anything? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely somebody who can at times hold two opposing ideas in their head. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think it's quite the level of cognitive dissonance, but I definitely can feel confident in the plan and felt like we characterized it really well. And the, the, we budgeted for more than a year before I stopped getting that paycheck. But on the same note. I think it's a normal human emotion to do lots of what ifs, you know, and and the other thing I, I, I think about is, you know, um, we're doing fine on our budget, but Lori is also making a little bit of part-time money. Now, it's not a lot, but um, it is something, and we spend it. It's not like we're banking all that money. We, we do bank a little bit of it, uh, kind of you know repopulates the you know vacation fund a, a little more and things like that. But you know we, we talk about the slush fund. That's legitimately what I call it in the budget uh, because Lori's kind of work-related income um, pays for some fun stuff, be, even beyond what's in the budget, right? You know I have a line item in my budget for like beer yeah. and wine and yeah. going out to restaurants, all that stuff. But when we go over that, uh, and especially living in wine country, that that definitely happens here. Um, we just use that income that she makes. And so it does give me pause to say, well, if that suddenly went away, if she decided she didn't want to tutor anymore, and I definitely didn't want to do any consulting whatsoever anymore, okay, then now we just have our normal draw. And yes, that draw right now is below our target withdrawal rate just because of market performance, but I don't want to up my withdrawal rate either because we need to be conservative right when we're thinking about sequence of return risk in these yeah. first five to ten years so it's some people would tell me that's a silly thing to worry about because we can obviously cut out the excess stuff yeah uh, even beyond our budgeted excess stuff especially given like, that how much you know the optics you have on it i mean you i feel yeah. like your finger is just on the pulse of it what's is. happening so often that any course correction you'd have to make would be so minor as to be not noticeable. And I'm not saying that it is uh, 
like a, a, a logical thing to go, a yeah, rational yeah. thing yeah. to go to. But like you, we feel like we worked hard to get to this point. We want to have the flexibility to spend, you know, outside of our budget sometimes. And of course you have it, right? Withdrawal rate is all about target and average and, you know, being sensible most of the time and, and underspending where you could so that you can spend more when you want to. Yeah. And so I don't want to scare anybody with the thought that, well, it's got to be so tightly controlled because <laughs> we didn't take a lean fire approach. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's but why, it's all, right? Yeah. Right. And that's why. Yeah. But it's still, it's still something that gets in your head. And I, I know... I'm right that you're going to feel the same way because I, you clearly think about and box these numbers, I think in a similar way. Yes, you don't love budgeting, um, but does, I mean, does that make sense? Do you project yourself worrying about that? So here, the, my concern, uh, lies in this idea and, and maybe a lot of people can relate to this who are hyper saving right now. I, it's easy to play the game of saving. It's much more difficult to play the game of spending. 100%. For me personally. And I, Dolor and I haven't talked much about that, but um, I love saving. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I did. It's too. totally addicting to me right now. Yeah, it's a game. It's a game. And I worry about being able to spend in a way that's going to make uh, our life fun and comfortable so that I don't hyper focus on some little piece of minutiae you know we've talked about yes. this before that i focus on these little tiny expenditures and <laughs> you know it all adds up to relatively at roscoe's right it, like it adds up to not much but i yeah. i think that change in mindset when i go from okay we hit the number and you know to now we have to start spending it down i worry about what that looks like that's that's an unknown for me and yeah i yeah, I don't. I, I should probably talk with Laura about that too, you know. But you, you I, I, also, I also know that I'm going to continue to earn. So that's you know, you and I have talked about that a little bit. That it's almost this built-in contingency that I'm not planning yes. on in the budget, which I am doing. Um, All right. Yeah. That's I mean, a big step. actually, Laura's doing because <laughs> I think she started when, when you know last time when we were talking about housing. I was like, yeah, we really ought to come to terms with this like really soon and set your, set your ceiling. Yeah. And we actually, it was actually relatively easy to, to pay for that with passive income. <laughs> so, okay, uh, but I don't know if that's a good strategy or a bad strategy, but, um, it is one way that we rationalized it. And so it maybe makes me, if nothing else, it makes me do a little more planning right now so that I can have some things in place that I know will cover that expense. But, um, yeah, yeah, this, the saving to spending transition, I have to believe people, um, grapple with in that transition zone. Yeah. Did you? Was yeah. Uh, not, maybe not as much as I thought I yeah. would, because I did think about it a lot and I did talk to some people about it. And I don't know that this is goes for everyone, but the people I spoke with seem to suggest that that takes time. Yeah. You know, once you've, you've gone, you know, the, the year has kind of cycled around three, four five times. You're very accustomed to this, this is going to work. Yes, there are bad years, there are good years for the market, all of that, but you're going to get used to the fact that you're drawing down. And well, if I would you think have a, a good plan. You know, you're going to get more comfortable with it over time. I would think five. I mean, five years is kind of the sequence of return risk threshold, right? If yeah. if it by most people, yeah. If it survives in a certain state for the first five years, you're you're pretty well guaranteed of like making the rest of it work, right? Is that what you project yeah. or? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the more, a more conservative view is 10 years. Oh, um, really? But 
Yeah, there are some people who will say 10 years. Most most people say five. Oh, well, what you do know, you I, say? I'm not trying to make you worry. I usually say five to 10 years. So that's, a, <laughs> that's a hedge. It's a hedge. But, you know, honestly, Eric, one of the things that I think made it way easier to make the transition from uh, saving this. I know what you're uh, going to say. Spending is market performance. Oh, OK. Now, I'm not going to say the bucket thing. No, I'm not. That helps. That's a because I hate that. But I'm not somebody – I'm sorry you hate it. I'm not somebody that has ever watched the market on a daily basis, right? And that's – I think that's a very good habit to get out of if it is your habit. Oh, if it's I my habit. If I any guidance. It's my habit. Don't do that after you start withdrawing <laughs> because little bumps that you might have gotten excited about uh, when you were saving could affect you in completely the opposite way. Yeah, now, I know some people – who are post fire? This is the whole reason they keep dry powder around, right? Yeah. They 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 have some money that they retained for this purpose as part of their accumulation plan, or they take their passive income for those who have it, and they set it aside. Or instead of like, you know, maybe they don't put quite as much in there when they think about their vacation fund. They also just kind of have some money that they think of as for investment. And when those downturns come, they continue to invest. Yeah. There's a lot of ways to approach it. Um, but, you know, I haven't had to deal with a big downturn yet. Right. The net upturn since I left is huge. It's crazy. Yeah. So that's only made me feel better about a downturn that I know will come. And so, I, you know, I think the good news is been saving long enough that we've weathered some pretty tough downturns <laughs> and I've seen what happens when you get out the other side and how yeah. the market recovers. So I know that to be the case, but do I worry that when it happens, I'm, I'm going to internalize it? Yeah, absolutely. And you're, we're kind of in this sandwich zone where our parents are older and you know, they're aging and there's all sorts of concerns that come along with that. And then you have your kids who are aging up and both parties still kind of need you. And you, have, you may or may not have financial responsibilities with respect to those. How have you, have you built that into your budget at all? Any kind of slush fund for that? Or you just say, Hey, it's something unpredictable. I can't predict it. I'll react to it when the time comes or how does that work? I'm going to call it somewhere in between those two things. <laughs> Because I, I have always believed in maintaining emergency funds. And it used to be, you know, in, when I was working, I followed the, you know, three to six months of expenses rule. I always did six months because of the level I was working at. And it's not like I can just, you know, turn, you know flip a coin and I've got another job. Yeah. Um, got to find something appropriate. Um, so I, I carried that into um, this next phase of life. And, you know, so we have a pool of money that basically equates to six months of expenses that I keep in cash in a, uh, savings account that should we have some unusual expense for any reason, it doesn't, we don't have to change our normal strategy of our operating account and, you know, have to liquidate something for, you know, anything, but, a you know, an outrageously high expense. So it's so, a buffer, yes. but it's not, it, it's a, it's a buffer. Naturally there can't is, account for any kind of crisis <laughs> that, yeah. that may come up. I mean, I'm just thinking about, are like, you thinking about it in your own budget? Is that something you have kind of allotments made for? Or? No, but I was going through the list of concerns and I was like, okay, well, what if one of my kids needed us for something, you know, sure. they needed to come back home and we needed to do some, some, you know, short-term support or maybe longer-term support, what would that look like? 
because, yeah. and I hadn't really planned on it in the budget and I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure how to treat that necessarily. <laughs> well, I think it's another reason, Eric, that this idea of thinking about the budget, you know, at, obviously at different levels of granularity over time, thinking about the budget earlier rather than later yeah. is so useful because you're going to keep coming up with things. You talk to different people, you encounter whatever the <laughs> latest little thing is in your everyday life. You're like, oh yeah, I got to account for that too. And most of those are going to be innocuous. They're not going to yeah. be big, scary things, but every so often you're going to think of something like, oh yeah, what if I have to do that? Um, and I think that's, but you're right. You can't plan for every contingency, but putting buffer in there, you know, allocating emergency funds, you're going to be that much better off and Dude, not if I, if fall I, into the situation <laughs> where you have to go find a job yeah. to deal with this unexpected <laughs> expense. You know, if I went through all, I mean, I'm a natural worrier. I am so anxious about things. And yeah, if and I me. went, if I went through all the tick boxes of all the things I was worried about, oh my God, <laughs> I'd, ne I'd never step into this. So at some level, I just have to say, we'll react to it when, when, or if the time comes. And yeah, I, yes. I guess this idea of building some kind of contingency into the whole system helps, but I don't know. So some, something we, we didn't talk about yet, um, that, that I, I thought about, you know, as a something that might not happen until I stop working was to have regret about that decision. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I worked to get the career to this point and to the point you just made, like stepping away and leaving it behind, I knew would be weird, but I did worry that I might get this feeling of regret. Like that was the wrong decision. You know, many people achieve financial independence and keep working because they love their job. Right. And you'll see this constantly on Reddit and on forums. And that's great, right? They want to keep working like super. I decided I didn't. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that a month, six months, a year later, I, I might not say, oh, well, what have I done? Right. That, that was my purpose. I loved it enough. Maybe, maybe there was a way to do that differently and that I would, I would still want to do it and have this life that we've set out for ourselves. Um, I'm happy to say that it didn't happen, <laughs> but you really, were worried I, about it. I was, yeah. I was totally worried about it. And it's legitimate. you know, I started questioning it when I was looking at taking on consulting, like, am I doing this? Cause I'm filling a void of desire, right? I miss the work. And I was really glad, at least, and again, it's only year one, to find that, no, that wasn't it. I was trying to fill space. How'd you know I that? I knew how to how, do. How could you make that distinction? Talking to people about it and having them question my motivations about doing that, you know, <laughs> you and Lori primarily, it's not something I just sort of aired to anybody yeah. I found on the street, but it just, and just thinking through it. I, honestly, you know, I've, I've told you this before. Taking daily walks, especially once I stopped listening to books on my walks. Long walks doing on the hikes, beach with myself. Doing walks. <laughs> I, I, thinking about that stuff and writing it down. The most basic like tools we have yeah. to deal with our thoughts. So that helps you process it. And I'm, yeah, and I'm not someone that you know enjoys that type, has historically enjoyed <laughs> that type of journaling. But writing it on a blog and putting it out there for maybe five people to read, whoever read it. Um, and no matter who read it, I I got those emotions out and wrote them down and reread them and realized this is why I felt certain ways and this is what was under you know underlying it and this is what I would do about it. And it sounds like the most simplistic crap in the world, but it's reality. That's how I felt. So and I, you I also it. took a few of those consulting jobs, right? Or no? I did, but all only really short term stuff. That yeah. was kind of my. Um, 
the happy medium I found. Like, cause you I did say that like, well, I'll never know unless I try it. Unless I try and, it. And so, you, but I never tried a big commitment because I honestly, Eric, the conversations you and I had about it that I continued on with Lori, I realized that's not what I wanted. I yeah. didn't want to be under someone else's timeline anymore all above right. all. Right. Totally. Like committing to even like a week's worth of 40 hours of consulting over a couple of weeks. Cause I certainly wouldn't take on 40 hours in a week. Um, felt bad. <laughs> like I would not, I mean, I'd be able to like roughly control my time. Like, yeah, okay. They're going to have a deliverable in two weeks. I can divide that time up however I want, but I didn't want that kind of commitment. Did you and make a, a matrix of uh, importance factors or something? <laughs> a no. weighted matrix? No, no, I'm no. bummed. No, there's no spreadsheet. <clears throat> it's a weird thing getting used to like total freedom and suddenly having anything scheduled. Lori and I just talked about this yesterday. Uh, and this is going to come across as completely tone deaf, just like it did when I said it to her. Um, I was annoyed about having to do both the drop-offs and the pickups at school because we live, you know, just far away enough that it's a little far for a walk from school and it's been really hot. So our daughter has not wanted to ride her bike to school. She wants to get dropped off, like not ride a bike for half an hour or 25 minutes uh, in the hot weather. Uh -huh. And I'm just like, this is messing with my schedule. Like I like my time to be free. And Lori, Lori rightfully is like, dude, I drove her to school every day. For years, pretty like, tone deaf. Yeah, <laughs> you don't get to, and I and I think I might I might have had the presence to even say like I know this is a small thing, but I probably didn't. I, I probably, <laughs> but it's also like I was creating the problem. Like I get to school a little too early to pick her up because I don't want to sit in the traffic in the circle with all the other fools. Yep. But I solved that problem. I got her to to meet me around the corner at a park. So now I don't have to sit in the traffic with all the fools. So <laughs> look, I'm solving the problem. Pretty soon you just got like par start parking further and further away. <laughs> She'll just have to walk all the way home <laughs> like halfway up the hill. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell her that. So we'll see how that goes. Keep walking. <laughs> Join us as the conversation continues next time on two sides of Phi. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For show notes, resources, and links to the video version, please check out our website at twosidesoffi.com.